Hello, my name is John Donahue and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Weight Loss Podcast with Human Design. And my aim is, aim is always with this podcast is to give you simple, easy to use bite size strategies, tips and insights to master the game of healthy weight loss uh, without having to give up your life in the process. And today I want to talk about a very important subject and that is six key ingredients for building healthy habits. It took me a long while to research this because I had to go back and read a lot of my books on habit building and I kind of figured out the six key strategies that all the world-class experts kind of agree on to build healthy habits and before you you know think oh here we go not another habits podcast it's really important for you to understand see when it comes to weight loss I know that you know what to eat to lose weight everyone knows what to eat if you look at the similarities across all diets they focus on four or five major principles. Number one, you've got to eat whole foods, as many whole foods as you can, less processed food. You've got to drink less alcohol. You've got to eat lean sources of protein. You've got to eat high quality sources of carbohydrate, not the kind of refined processed stuff. You've got to eat healthy fats, uh, less sweets, things like that. It's all the same principles. And, you know, so you've got to figure out, I think personally, you should stop reading diet books. I think most people should stop reading diet books because the number one, uh, how could I say, prerequisite for successful dieting is the one you can stick to. So it doesn't matter what diet you do. It doesn't matter if you do keto, paleo, fasting. I don't care. But you've got to figure out why you're doing the behaviors you're doing that are not getting you to your weight loss goal. So why are you eating snacks every night after dinner? Why are you eating sweets? Why can you not say no for seconds at a buffet? Why can you just not seem to get your eating under control? And you know, when, when I talk about habits and these six key ingredients for building habits, I think this stuff is more important for building sustainable, long-term, healthy eating habits and exercise habits to help you get to your goals. And ultimately, we don't want to just lose weight. We want to lose weight once and for all. So let me just start by saying that there's a world-renowned habit expert called Wendy Wood that not many people have heard of because everyone has read James Clear's Atomic Habits and other books like that. But she's a psychologist at the University of Southern California. She's the author of a book called Good Habits and Bad Habits. And she has actually tried to quantify how much of our behavior is habitual. And she said up to 43% of our behavior is habitual. That means every day, roughly 43% of your behavior is habitual. That means you're doing things on autopilot. You're not thinking... It could be emotional, impulsive, or it could be just to get you through the day. And, you know, since habits account for such a large percentage of our behavior, scientists have been trying to understand how we successfully break them and how we create new ones. And Daniel Kahneman, the author of Thinking Fast and Slow, a great book, says thinking is to humans as swimming is to cats. We can do it, but we'd rather not. So, and this is important because in order to get through our day without weighing up every single decision, our brains have to cognitively save energy or ration our thoughts. But, you know, this is not always a good thing because some habits are good for us and some habits are not so good for us. And we can repeat the habit even though it isn't doing any good for our health, our wealth or our relationships. Think of smoking, drinking, gambling, things like that, porn, whatever you want to call it, unhealthy eating, emotional eating. So we often repeat the same actions in the same place while even thinking about something else. So a lot of stuff can be automated and, and and bj fogg james clear near yeah wendy wood katie milkman these are all world-class experts in habits change and they've all created their own models describing habit formation but if we combine the findings from their models there's six main ingredients that are relevant for you so i hope this episode really helps you understand how to build a new healthy habit that lasts so the first key ingredient is number one pick the right moment to break existing habits we all know that breaking an existing habit is hard 
In fact, as early as 1859, an author called Samuel Smiles wrote in his bestseller, Self-Help, what about that for a title in 1859? He said to uproot an old habit is sometimes a more painful thing and vastly more difficult than to wrench out a tooth. How accurate is that? That's why we just can't just tell people to eat less and move more or stop smoking or stop eating chocolate and drinking wine. You know, you might have all the best intentions for yourself and your friend, but it never really works. If only it were that easy. You know, quite often, uh, especially my clients, are trying to change a lifetime of habits and people try and do it over an eight-week challenge. It's not going to happen that quick. Some things will happen quick, but most habits won't. So if it's too difficult to break an existing habit, how do we start? Well, we start by picking a moment when the habit is weakened. So psychologists have identified several predictable moments when habits are weak. And one of these moments is called a fresh start. And Katie Milkman, the author of How to Change, which is a brilliant book, she argues that people have a strong desire to be consistent. However, when we enter a new time period, our relationship with our past self is weakened and it becomes a little easier to change our behavior. So when they ran studies in 2014 to examine three main behaviors, which were dieting, gym usership, and commitments to pursuing new goals, they all found, they found that all the new behaviors were much more likely to occur at the beginning of a new time period. For example, they said that the probability of someone visiting the gym increased by 15% at the beginning of a month, 33% at the start of a new week, and 47% after a new term began. Think about it, if you live in Sydney, everyone kind of gets in shape after um, Australia Day or after Easter or, um, you know, after a new school term. So if you want to disrupt an old habit, try a fresh start on a new time period. This could be a Monday, your birthday, after a holiday, after moving homes, after moving jobs. You know, and Katie Milkman, Professor Katie Milkman also believes you can reframe ordinary moments as fresh starts. So in another study, she recruited 165 students who had goals to pursue and invited them to sign up for an email reminder to help them achieve the goals. In some cases, the psychologist emphasized the date chosen for the reminders. For example, 20th of March was a fresh start by labeling it as the first day of spring. In other cases, the same date was described more neutrally as the third Thursday of March. But the students were significantly more likely to sign up when researchers grew attention to the fresh start. So harnessing the fresh start effect tripled the uptake of their goals so this study showed the fresh starts are really powerful if you want to break an old habit or start a new one. And even mundane moments can be reframed as fresh starts. So what fresh start could you use to break an existing habit or still start building a new one? The second key ingredient is do not rely on motivation. Create what's called a cue. So once you've disrupted an existing habit, your next challenge is to embed a new one. And many psychologists now agree that if you want to encourage behavior change in yourself, or in others, it's not enough to boost motivation. They say that increased desire does not always translate to behavior change. In fact, there's a term that psychologists use to describe this, and it's called the intention to action gap or the intention behavior gap. And this is the difference between what we say we're going to do and what we actually do. So, you know, think about it. every day we intend to eat healthy, exercise, be a great partner, a great friend, perform our best at work. But still, we often end up snacking, eating fast food, doing what's easy and often unhealthy, or we get stuck in our old habits and we procrastinate. And when I talked about a cue there, you know, every habit has a loop. There's a cue, which is a trigger or a prompt or an activator, whatever you want to call it. There's a routine and then there's a reward. So it's a habit loop. So you walk in the door at night. That's the cue. End of a long working day. Routine is get out a glass of wine. Three, the reward is, oh, I feel good. I feel less stressed. But Sarah Mill, a psychologist at the University of Bath, 
recruited 248 participants in 2002 and split them into three groups. Group one were told to record their exercise levels. And while and, and when Mill met up with them a fortnight later, only 35% had exercised for 20 minutes at least once per week. Group two were also told to record their exercise levels, but they also had to read a motivational leaflet about the benefits of exercise. And even though the leaflet boosted their intention to exercise, it barely changed their behavior. In fact, only 3% more, so 38% exercised at least once a week. Again, this is the behavior, intention, action gap happening again. The third group were treated like the second group, but additionally, the psychologist Sarah Mill asked them to state when, where, and with whom they would exercise. And this is called the implementation intention. And I talked about this in a previous podcast. And, you know, it's kind of like a trigger to remind them to exercise. And the motivation levels of this group were no different to the second group, but their behavior was 91% of them exercised at least once a week. So the trigger or the implementation intention massively improved the behavior. So if you want to build a new habit, you can't just focus on motivation. You must create a cue or an activator that'll prompt that behavior. And some of the easiest examples of this is planning your workouts into your diary, like your meeting. So at eight o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I will meet with my personal trainer to train. Or at 5 p.m. or lunchtime on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, I will do my 30-minute online workout. So even organizing training with a friend is a great example. Or joining a gym or booking an appointment with a trainer. You know, most of my clients train with me. They'll probably hate me for saying this. Because they pay and they book in on a weekly basis or they check in daily via the online coaching. There's that accountability there. Most of them tell me that they wouldn't do that much on their own. Some would, but most wouldn't. You know, some examples of non-fitness related cues happened as early as the start of the 20th century when a famous advertising genius called Claude Hopkins improved dental hygiene and boosted the profits of Pepsodent's ads by recommending people cleaning their teeth after breakfast and before going to bed. So this was a cue that was arguably the most successful, uh, a great cue for the most successful public health campaign of the past 100 years. People just weren't brushing their teeth in. Remember, there's always a cue or an activator that happens before a behavior. There's a driver. When it comes to adopting healthier habits, we need to use these cues or activators at the start before it becomes a part of who we are. And that's okay. So it's important to start off with a trigger or a cue. For you, you might not be somebody who eats healthy naturally or who or who or whose exercise is not an intrinsic part of who you are yet, but that's okay. We can use these cues. And the third key ingredient. Um, sorry, a good simple examples of these cues could be as, as easy as leaving your gym gear out in the chair the night before or leaving a piece of fruit on your desk at work or having a bottle of water everywhere you go or even a daily alarm reminding you to get off your seat every 30 minutes for two minutes. The third key ingredient for building a healthy habit is to use an existing behavior to create one of these triggers or cues. So instead of having to come up with a cue or trigger from thin air, it's a good idea to attach the behavior attach the behavior you're trying to encourage to an existing behavior you already do. This is called habit stacking. And James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, states that when it comes to building new habits, you may as well use this connectedness of behavior to your advantage. And one of the best ways to build a new habit is to identify a current habit you're already doing each day and then stack your new behavior on top. And again, habit stacking is a special form of that implementation intention. So rather than pairing your new habit with a particular time and location, you pair it on top of a current habit. And this method, which was created by BJ Fogg as part of his Tiny Habits program, it can be used to design an obvious cue for nearly any habit. So the habit, habit stacking example goes like this. 
after current habit, I will do new habits. So for example, after I pour my cup of coffee in the morning, I will meditate for one minute. After I take my off my work shoes, I will immediately change into my workout gear. After I sit down to dinner, I will say one thing I'm grateful for. Or after I take a bite of food, I will chew it till it's liquid and I will put my utensils down between each bite. You know, after I put on my running shoes, I will text a friend or a family member where I'm running and how long it will take. You know, these are simple things. The reason habit stacking works so well is that your current habits are already built into your brain. You have patterns and behaviors that have been strengthened over years. And by linking your new habits to a cycle that's already built into your brain, you make it more likely that you'll stick to the new behavior. So once you've mastered this basic structure, you can begin to create larger stacks by chaining small habits together. And this allows you to take advantage of the natural momentum that comes from you know, one behavior leading to the next. And there's good science to back this up too. In 2013, Gabby Judah from Imperial College London led a study among 50 people in the habit stacking. Half the group were told to floss before brushing their teeth and half were told to floss after brushing their teeth. And this is important because an existing habit acts as a better cue or activator if it precedes the desired behavior. So the pre-flossing group floss for 23.7 days, whereas the post-flossing group floss for 25.3 days. A small improvement, but an improvement nonetheless. And James Clear states that overall, habit stacking allows you to create a simple set of rules that guide your future behavior. And that's what we want. We want the future behavior to be consistent. It's like you always have a game plan for which action should come next. And then once you get comfortable with this habit stacking approach, you can develop general habit stacks to guide you whenever you know the situation is appropriate. So Whenever you see a set of stairs, you'll take them instead of the elevator. Uh, when you want to serve yourself a meal, always put vegetables on your plate first. Um, you know, things like that, really simple stuff. You know, when and where you choose to insert a habit into your daily routine can make a big difference. So if you're trying, I'll give you an example. If you're trying to add meditation into your morning routine, but your mornings are absolutely hectic and your kids are running into the room, that could be the wrong place and time. So consider when you're most likely to be successful, don't ask yourself to do a habit when you're going to be more occupied with something else. Your cue or your trigger or your prompt should have the same frequency as your desired habit. So if you want to do a habit every day, but you stack it on top of a habit that only happens on Mondays, that's probably not the best choice. So one way to find the right trigger for your habit is to brainstorm a list of your current habits. Or you could do something as simple as, you know, create a list with two columns you know, in the first column, you write down the habits that you do every day without fail. You get out of bed, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you get dressed, you drink a cup of tea or coffee, you eat breakfast, you take the kids to school, you start your workday, you eat lunch, you end the workday, you change out of your clothes, you sit down for dinner. These are things you do every day. And then the second column, you can do all the things that happen to you each day without, you know, the sun that happens without fail. It could be the sun rises, you get a text message. Uh, the song you listen to ends, the sunsets. These are just examples James Clear came up with. So when you're armed with these two lists, you be, you can begin searching for the best place to layer your new habit onto your current lifestyle. So, But be specific and clear. So after I close the door, after I brush my teeth, after I eat lunch, after I sit down at my desk at work, the specificity is really important. And the more tightly bound your new habit is to a specific cue, the better the odds are you'll notice when the time comes to act. Okay, let's get on to number four. Make the behavior you're trying to encourage as easy as possible. I'm smiling and hopefully you can tell I'm smiling because this is what I say on my social media all the time. 
I keep telling clients, you know, everyone has great intentions. I'm going to give up alcohol. I'm going to exercise every day and I'm going to do this. I'm going to get to bed early. And yet for the past three years, they've been doing none of that. So they want to change the whole kitchen sink. You know, the one of the best ways to make your habit as easy as possible is what's called chunking. So you split the behavior in the smallest steps possible. In 2020, Professor Katie Milkman, again, the author of How to Change, she conducted a study into the effects of chunking on goal competition or goal completion. She said they found that when people committed to working with a charity, people who committed to four hours per week rather than 200 hours per year were 8% more likely to volunteer and do the work. And all their findings and studies have shown that if a commitment appears bite-sized, love that, same name as my podcast, how good is that? It looks less daunting and people are more keen to try it. So if you need to lose 20 kilos, focus on the first two or three. If you want to run a marathon you've never ran before, get to the first kilometer. If you want to eat five servings of veg per day, start with one serve. And I know we're all told in this environment to 10x our goals and do this and have big, hairy, audacious goals. But oh my God, I mean, they're so scary to most people. It it just sets off your nervous system, makes you panic. I'm never going to be able to do that. When you can easily do a goal if it's chunked down to the smallest step possible. You know, in precision nutrition coaching, we have this question. We say, you know, how confident are you on a scale of one to 10 that you can complete this goal? And I ask my clients that. And sometimes they'll say, oh, maybe a five out of 10. But if you're not a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, you probably won't do the task. So make it as simple as possible. Nobody gets style points for making things as difficult as possible, especially when it comes to healthy eating and exercise and weight loss. So chunking is not the only way to make habits easier to embed, but it's one of the most powerful methods. So rather than focus on motivation, the most effective strategy is generally to make the behavior easier. If you can help make it ridiculously easy, half your battle is won, you're swimming downstream instead of upstream. Number five, the fifth ingredient to build a healthy habit, harness the power of rewards. The next step is to create a reward. This is kind of probably the broadest area of habit formation, but it can really help to embed a new behavior because rewards play a massive role in the behaviors we do and those that we choose to repeat. And some behavioral scientists even claim that we should spend 80% of our efforts on understanding and improving the perceived consequences or rewards of doing a behavior. They're that important. Now, rewards are like the positive outcomes that follow specific behaviors or actions. So they kind of then lead to an increase in the likelihood that behavior or action will be repeated in the future. And, you know, rewards can be categorized into different types, including extrinsic and intrinsic. Extrinsic rewards are kind of like external to use an individual, such as money, food, praise, while intrinsic rewards are kind of internal and they come from within you, such as enjoyment or satisfaction or the enjoyment of doing the action itself. And, you know, the brain's reward system is based on the release of dopamine. That's the feel-good chemical, and it's released in response to positive experiences. You know, dopamine, it's a neurotransmitter that signals the brain that a particular behavior is valuable and should be repeated. And then over, over time, the brain learns to anticipate the reward, and it associates the behavior that led to it, making the behavior more automatic and, and habitual. Now, that can be a good and bad thing, because think about sitting down watching Netflix at night and eating chocolate to soothe an emotion or a pain, right? That, that, that you know, gives you a release of enjoyment, but it's not good long-term. Now, rewards play a significant role in motivation because they increase the release of the dopamine, which increases your motivation to engage in the behavior again in the future. And this is known as positive reinforcement. And it's kind of one of the critical mechanisms for forming and maintaining habits. Now, when rewards are consistently paired with a particular behavior, the behavior becomes more automatic, becomes more habitual. 
the brain learns to associate the behavior with a positive outcome. I know I'm repeating myself here, but it's a powerful concept to get. In some cases, extrinsic rewards actually might be more effective, such as you know monetary rewards for work. Or in other cases, intrinsic rewards can be more effective, such as the feeling of satisfaction that comes from competing a challenging task. Think about anything you've done in the past that's been worthwhile. It's the process you really enjoy and the completion of it. And the most effective rewards are those that are personalized and meaningful to you. And they create a strong, positive association with the behavior. Because when you look at it, most behaviors follow a three-step model. There's, there's an activator or cue that we've talked about. There's the behavior itself or the routine, and then there's the consequences of the reward or the feeling we get from after the habit or the behavior. And the main reason why, why we choose to repeat a behavior is an anticipation of a rewarding experience. You know, you might be motivated to join your workout class every evening because there's a good feeling about it. There's a social reward of acting, interacting with your new mates, but also to avoid feeling lazy and, and, and lonely at home. So it's you know, it's all well and good if we can set up the right cues and perform the habit, but if you aren't getting even a small mini reward for your initial effort along the way, you won't get the habit to start operating on its own. And when you make habits rewarding, you're more likely to repeat the habit. You know, what feels good gets repeated, and those good feelings can happen through an intrinsic reward, like feeling proud of yourself from doing a, a healthy behavior. But, you know, quite often at the start, these intrinsic feelings might not come. So it's okay to use extrinsic things. You know, if I exercise five times this week, I'll buy myself a new book. It can be it can be personal to you. You know, a lot of healthy habits are can be quite boring and not exciting at the start. They can be hard to repeat. Who gets excited about eating green veg? <clears throat> Excuse me, not me. You know, so you've got to find some kind of rewards. So at the start, it might be good to do an extrinsic reward to celebrate your new habit. You know, intrinsic rewards or a feeling of a job well done, they're kind of more longer lasting. They'll eventually provide you all the motivation you need to make your behavior a new way of life. You know, Professor Wendy Wood says, the tricks we've learned from habit research are first, make it rewarding so it's something you enjoy or that you feel proud of because when you're rewarded, your brain releases that dopamine, that feel-good chemical. It also brings together information, kind of sort of stamps in the behavior, which helps you to automate it and then forms a mental shortcut that becomes a habit. You know, when one of the world's experts is telling you this, you kind of have to sit up and take notice. You know, she said in her book that um, they did a uh, study on U.S. college students for exercise habits. And they said those who rated the exercise as fun as a fun activity and made them feel good reported it was more habitual and automatic. And this is so important because I keep telling people it doesn't matter what experts say about weight training and cardio and all the arguments against either and what's better for fat loss. The one that's best is the one you're going to do daily or more regularly and work up a sweat and really enjoy and want to do it again. Who wants to get back in the gym when your coach is screaming at you and makes the, 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 the workout horrible? Nobody wants to do that. You know, so I've talked again previously about temptation bundling. That's another good way to use rewards is where you pair an activity you know you should be doing with an activity you enjoy doing. So, you know, you'll listen to your favorite podcast while you're on the treadmill or you'll watch an Netflix show while you're on the bike in the house, whatever it is. And here's the last ingredient. The most important habit tactic, repetition, repetition, repetition. So this is ingredient number six. So habits are not formed overnight. I hope you know that by now. For a behavior to become embedded, you must repeat it. In fact, studies show it can take anywhere from 18 to 264 days to form a habit, depending on the complexity of the habit. And this is why, again, I'm against everyone changing everything at once. You know, pick something you can do sustainably, repeatedly, that you can build into your lifestyle. Remember, we are what we repeatedly do, one of the most famous habit quotes ever. 
you know, let's look at the definition of a habit. They're automatic behaviors developed as people, one, repeatedly have, two, rewarding experiences from performing a given action in a given context. So repetition, it becomes more and more automatic the more we repeat it. We drive our cars without thinking where we should put our hands or our feet, you know, thanks to the teaching that our brain has given us the right behaviors. You know, we don't have to think about changing gears and using the indicators and looking in the mirror. It just becomes automatic. But think about the first time you get into the car, you, you, it was cognitive overload. You couldn't remember all the steps. You know, research has yet to provide an exact number for how long it takes for behavior to become automatic. But we do know it's actually more a function of repetition rather than time. So if you increase the frequency of repetitions, you'll generally increase the speed of habit form. And think about this. The person who exercises five minutes a day, and why you might think five minutes a day is a joke, and I used to laugh at it. Yeah, it's not going to transform your body overnight, but that person who does five minutes a day will eventually develop the habit of exercise much quicker than the person who does an hour once per week. You know, I have a client, an online client at the minute, and her initial, she was so overwhelmed with it all. I said, right, can you do 10 squats per day? And she laughed at me on the screen. And I said, look, just can you just have a bit of faith and do it? And before you knew it, she, from going from doing nothing to doing 10 squats a day, sometimes 150 squats a day, sometimes 20 squats and then a jog, sometimes a walk and then 10 squats done five times within the walk. She's established a consistent exercise routine and she doesn't exercise every day, but she's doing a lot more than she used to do. And this has all started from 10 squats. So repetition holds the key here. The more repetition, the better. And all else being equal, if you can do the behavior on an hourly basis, you're on your way to establishing a habit within a number of weeks. On the other hand, if you only repeat a behavior once a week, it might take several months. So obviously, I'm not going to tell you to do something every exercise every hour. But if you can do something every day or make your nutrition habits so simple, you can do it every day, you'll build that habit quicker. Remember, we need to train our brain to understand when they act automatically. It's like with driving your car. We need repetitions for the neural connections to perform and become strong. And the good news is this is a really incremental process. We can and we'll notice the action becoming easier and more habitual with every repetition. And eventually your healthy eating, your exercise, you're getting to bed early, that'll be on cruise control. You know, you might not feel like that now, but in six months, 12 months, 18 months, these healthy behaviors and healthy habits will be second nature to you. It'll be cruise control and you won't have to work as hard as you think you do. You know, like I said earlier, I used to laugh at the whole five minutes a day of exercise. But now I know why it's so powerful. You know, neuroscientists always talk about neurons that fire together, wire together. What that means is that every behavior can be represented by a set of neurons connecting and firing in your brain. And the more a set of neurons fire a connection between each other, the stronger the connection becomes and the quicker the signal between them will travel. So repetition is key. So if you're trying to create habits, healthy habits, when it comes to eating, comes to exercise that'll help you lose weight, Remember the six key principles identified in behavioral science. Number one, focus your efforts to break existing habits at the start of new time periods. This is called the fresh start effect. Number two, do not rely on motivation. Motivation needs to be combined with a cue or a trigger or a prompt, whatever you want to call it, an activator. Number three, try to create the cue by harnessing an existing behavior. So after I do this, I will do new behavior. Make the habit you're trying to do as easy as possible. Give it a nine out of 10 confidence. If you're not there, Scrap the habit, pick something more simple. Make it as easy as possible. And I'm saying this to you because I know you're busy. I know you're time poor. I know you've probably tried multiple diets. I know you're struggling with weight loss. So it's, like I said, there's no style points for making things difficult or complicated. Number five, harness the power of rewards. 
And number six, remember that the habit creation habit creation requires a sustained series of interventions. So repetition, repetition, repetition. Now, that was one of my longest podcasts. I know this is called Bite Size and Weight Loss, but I felt this is one of the most powerful lessons or powerful, how can I say it, points for weight loss because I know people don't want to just lose weight. They don't want to keep going back and regaining weight and yo-yo dieting. They want to break the, the cycle once and for all. So I think you should stop reading diet books, read more books about how habits are formed, read books about what's driving your behavior, what's causing you to do things you don't want to do, and then how to get you to do the things you do want to do. In other words, to close that intention action gap. So as I say, that was my longest podcast. Sorry, if you're still listening, well done. So I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Have a great day. And as always, if you get something from it, please leave a review. Um, it really, really helps to boost the, the, the ratings and get more people to listen to the podcast. All right, have a great day.